Reading is owned by a Chinese consortium. Are you concerned yeah. by this, given the current state of Chinese aggressive totalitarianism? You can pass. Am I concerned? I think ultimately, as a football fan, with, uh, in isolation, we're concerned more with the, with the health of our football club. In terms of, uh, sort of we're talking about the, the sort of the Chinese political situation. Yes, to an extent. Because from what I have read and what I've heard, and you know, sort of rumor, the rumor mill is is, is abound that uh, the Chinese state is attempting to get their wealthy billionaires and millionaires to withdraw their money from you know sort of English assets. professional leagues, mm-hmm. uh, English professional football. But more imminently is the is the concern with the immediate health of the club. Now we know that Dai Yong, Dai Zhu Li, they do have absolute bucket loads of money but we, we, we've been under a transfer embargo for um well we were under a transfer embargo last year we're under a transfer embargo now although it looks like that we are going to be able to sign players on loan free transfers on restricted wages but the health of the club has not financial health of the club has not been good it has not been well run ever since the john Modeski sold the club in 2012 and of course, you know that ties in with with Al Jazeera, the program that was uh, aired on firstly on Monday night, the Men Who Sell, Sell Football, with Chris Samuelson. And we've had TSI, Temp Sports Investment, who were fronted up by Anton Zingarevich. Chris Samuelson was very much involved in that. We've had our Thai owners, who I think meant well um, and generally tried to run the club in a fairly financially prudent manner, but were very naive with how much it would actually cost to run the club. You know, essentially. Uh, didn't have the, the financial backing to be able to keep the club afloat. And now the Chinese, the amount that the club is spending purely on wages, um, it's literally 211% of income. So for every pound we make, we spend £2.11 on wages, which is not a healthy position to be. And there are lots of people that are kind of decrying the, um, the EFL and the owners and directors test. But ultimately, when it comes down to those figures, there's only really one place to point the finger of blame, and that is with the owners for um, taking very much um, a scattergun approach to signings, it seems, um, hiring or firing managers. I mean, you've got to take a look at the... um, Well, in terms of whole seasons, since Sir John Modeski sold the club, we have gone only three full seasons with one manager. And that's 2013, 14, 16, 17, and last season with um, Nigel Atkins, Yapstam, and Velko Panovic. And that kind of tells its own story. We're hiring and firing managers left, right, and centre. There's no um, genuine structure or um, systematic um, approach to how we're going to how we're going to sort of keep the club afloat, keep the club running, keep the club competitive. It's just very much a case of, well, this is what's needed now. Yeah, we're going to sort of throw some water at this particular fire, but, you know, we'll ignore the fact that the fuse box is smoking over in the corner and uh, is imminently going to blow up any time soon. Uh, it's just constant firefighting all the time. Yeah, it's not how to run a business. Absolutely not, no, no. And it's, it's deeply concerning, actually, just how bad we've been. And partly I kind of... I kind of wonder whether or not fans could have been asking the question sooner. Because I say, two years ago, we were also under a 
stock transfer embargo and were you know very very late in the window came out of it and then went and spent the best part of I think four million on Lucas Jao six million on George Buscas Rafael Cabral came in for free from Napoli but is undoubtedly on a on a hefty wedge in terms of wages and you just wonder why that happened given the financial state that the club was in uh, and how it managed to happen and at the time fans were like yeah great you know brilliant HMS Pista League here we come kind of thing that didn't happen and. Yeah, at the time, I think we should probably have been a bit more forthright in questioning, OK, well, we've just come out of a soft transfer embargo because clearly there's something up with the finances. Um, why have we now just spent the best part of 10, 12, 14 million pounds on players in that situation? I think we need to be a little bit more savvy, a little bit more prudent. Um, one of the things that's come out of the recent uh, or the current ongoing sequence, and in fact, it was Christine Seddon of Blackpool Supporters Trust who actually um, used this word, uh, in terms of um, fan, the fan relationship with, with owners, is that fans tend to be entirely subservient to owners. And that, I don't think, is a particularly uh, healthy place for fans to be. I think fans, I think there needs to be a healthy dialogue between fans and owners. I don't think it should be entirely the other way. You know, owners should never be subservient to fans. That would just lead to the instant gratification that, that fans insist upon. But there needs to be a better structured dialogue and transparency in football uh, between owners and fans. We don't have a culture of that in this country, but I think with ongoing cases, the, con- the continual ongoing number of cases, I'd like say we've had Blackpool with the Oysters, Barry have gone out of business, Bolton nearly went out of business, you know, Reading are, uh, say, up to Creek with a mm-hmm. very, very small paddle, I think. Yeah, they're going to have to sell the paddle soon. That's the best way to say it. Yes, exactly. If it doesn't break in the stream, indeed. You know there are a, a number of clubs who are who are in financial you know, financial problems, and yet you've got to remember that all of these um, clubs have taken on new owners since the owners and directors test or the fit and proper person test, as it was, um, has been introduced. And you're kind of thinking, well, all right, well, what's the point of it then? Clearly, doesn't work. It's clearly not fit for purpose. And yeah, the the EFL in this case or the Premier League need to do more as it stands at the moment. Although, again, one of my thoughts is ownership and directors, that shouldn't be the realm of the EFL or the Premier League or the National League or whatever league the club sits in to, 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 to look into. That should be the FA looking into it, the, the overarching governing body. And so they need to be actively patrolling clubs, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and ensuring that competitions are fair. And that, for me, that's the FA's job. Yeah. Because the, the competitive nature of football is what makes it great. Uh, Reading-Blackpool is the match week of October 20th. Uh, so that'll be a big game. Will you get to see all these people in person? Will you get to see Christine yes. in person? Well, I, I actually already met Christine. Oh, lovely. Um, I actually recorded the, the episode on a lovely sunshiny day. Because my, my, my dad lives just outside Lytham. Oh, lovely. Uh, which, of course, everybody knows is, is on the Fylde Coast, uh, set halfway between Blackpool and Preston. And so um, I actually met Christine at the station pub, uh, just literally by Lytham Station. We sat and had a lovely, lovely chat over a over a drink for uh, two to three hours while we were sat and recorded. Yeah, it was uh, it was lovely. So yes, hopefully I will get to meet. I've tried to meet all of the people in person. So as I say, I've already met um, Hannah Clinch and uh, Chris uh, Christine Kyle in, in person as well. The latest episode was Swindon in a pub. Yes, uh, the continuing theme here. Yeah, so um, hopefully at some point, yeah, we'll we'll get to meet. We did try. I did try and meet Kaz and Lucy, various points over the summer, but different different um, things got in the way, mm-hmm. like short notice, um, pre-season friendlies, and Lucy um, unfortunately contracted COVID as well, mm-hmm. which put the muckers on it as well. 
and of course they were also invited to one of the playoff finals. I think it was a League Two playoff final as well. Um, so they went to that on a day that we uh, uh, that we should have met. Yeah, uh, as excuses go, arranged to match, should I say? Yeah, oh, that's a pretty good one. Pretty good. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I will obviously um, ask John a lot about. Um, the era and which manager links Watford and Reading and he's big on integrity <laughs> Mr Rogers Mr Rogers who quit Watford after Brendan about Rogers. six yeah. months and he quit Reading after yeah. about six months he's now playing in the Champions League where he does belong he's a very good coach um, but did yeah. John Medeski just uh, he got the offer from Swansea probably but why did John Medeski not keep hold of him well uh, John Medeski actually sacked Brendan Rogers. Mm. Um, now there's a, there's a little bit of a, a hearsay going on here, but from what I understand from reasonable, reasonably reputable sources, there was a little bit of a conflict of personalities in the boardroom. And you know, you got to understand as well that Reading had gone from Steve Koppel football, which was four four two, very kind of old school, get it, you know, forward very quickly, play, you know, four four two with wingers, big big man, tall, uh, short man uh, forwards. And uh, we've gone from that um, to Brendan Rodgers, which was a massive, massive step. And, you know, Rodgers was very naive in his approach and tried to get you know, players like Khalifa Cissé, um, who was a couple signing, a, a combative midfielder, you know, playing like, you know, sort of Franz Beckenbauer um, or uh, Lothar Matthias in the, you know, just in front of the back four. And it was never going to work. Uh, it was too much too soon and he needed to be much more pragmatic. In the end, we only ended up winning one home game under him in the league. Funnily enough, that was against Blackpool. And we were something like, we were, if we weren't in the relegation zone when it was sacked, then we were certainly very, very close to it. We were something like 21st. We just had a, a draw against uh, Scunthorpe in a game that we should have won handsomely. I mean, let's basically create chance after chance after chance. But... You know, if you can only score one goal, then, you know, you're, you're always going to be in danger. He only won half a dozen games. We were down the bottom end of the table. And genuinely think, like a lot of other fans, that if we'd have carried on with him, we would have gone down. The club couldn't afford that. And so they took, they bit the bullet and, um, and got Brian McDermott in, who was much more pragmatic, much more direct. And actually, we were very, very close to getting into the playoffs that season. A couple of games away, a couple of wins away, really. And we finished, I think, ninth or tenth. Um, only three or four points outside of the playoffs. He didn't endear, them, endear himself to Watford fans at the time. And again, there was a little bit of a, a kind of a sort of hmm, sideways look glance between Reading fans at the time, I think, because, you know, we'd been stung uh, twice by both Mark McGee and Alan Pardew and the manner of their departures. And now we were going to do it to another club, albeit, you know, you could argue that it was done in inverted commas the right way, you know. Yeah, didn't seem right at the time, certainly to me anyway. Um, and ultimately, yeah, he was a, a good job, but, but the wrong club yeah. at the wrong time. Um, and if you look at Brendan Rodgers now, there's, not, you know, there's absolutely no question that he's a world-class coach. I think the, um, game a very, just, very good the game's caught up with him. Um, uh, Michael Cox wrote a very good book called The Mixer, and he said that what Brendan did was study what was going on in Spain. Of course, in English football, it was still the Ferguson-Wenger era. And now, a lot of teams play the Brendan way, or the Klopp way, or the Guardiola way, and it's, he's got the best club. I don't think he's going to get any higher than Leicester, since he's already had Liverpool. I think he'll get the England job, ultimately, uh, although he might annoy the FA. But, uh, yes, he won't get a good reference from John Medeski, that's for sure. 
Um, this season, I had a look at the squad, and you mentioned this embargo. The squad is tiny. If you're working with 15 yeah. first-team players, last uh, the other night uh, you played a League Cup tie where I read that only one player in the Reading squad, Pushkas, was not an academy graduate. That must be a good thing. Yeah. To an extent, yes, it's, a, it's an opportunity for our academy um, to really push on and, and, and potentially get first team games. Obviously, we lost the game three 0 so they can't do that in the League Cup this year. But you know, we've got to, we've got to remember that uh, eight of those players were making um, debuts or first uh, full debuts, and you know, you know the, the squad is is exactly what you say is absolutely threadbare. Again, this all ties and it comes down to the, the financial mismanagement uh, that we that we've experienced pretty much for the last 10 years, but more recently under our, as I say, said earlier, under our Chinese owners, in that we've been, you know, signing players like George Buscas for, you know, megabucks really for us from teams like Inter. You know, he came from Inter, as I said before, Rafael Cabral, a goalkeeper, came from Napoli. Lucas Schau came from, it was highly rated, obviously, from, from Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, we're spending big money on these players. And yeah. You could argue that there is there are opportunities there now for the um, academy, but you need to have more in terms of experience alongside them. And we're not just talking about you know the likely experience that George Buscas brings or Rafael brings. We're talking about characters in English football who will you know, essentially coax and, and bring along um, these players to help them improve. Now, Tom McIntyre and Tom Holmes also played in that game, who heavily featured last season. They both played at centre back. And they've got players like Liam Moore um, the captain. and Michael Morrison to, uh, to, to yes, yeah, to, to, to help them along at centre back and to bring them on as men. So you know we've got, but we need more of those types of players, more characters in our in our um, training ground and in our dressing room. Yeah, because at the moment, as we say, in terms of experience, we are really, really lacking, and it's it's quite concerning. Although I have read today that hopeful signs that we might be signing players on loan, um, including from Watford, actually. Um, oh, I who? forget exactly who it is, but uh, I should say that the manager Panovic. Oh, that would be a good signing. Uh, he's coming back from a long injury, but he came through at Man City, where his brother is as well, and he's a good player. But he's mm-hmm. not going to play every game because we've signed two central midfielders. So that would be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so good luck if you do secure Dele Bashiru. Um, but yeah, the manager Panovic, ex Atletico Madrid. Are you going to get any players yes. from there? From their youth setup. You could partner with them. Uh, probably not. Uh, well, saying that, we did we did almost have a, a loan signing last season who ended up going to Bournemouth from Atletico. Um, no, I, I very much doubt it because they'll come with a cost. We've looked at clubs like um, Porto and Benfica in the past. We've signed players from them, like uh, Semedo last season. But yeah, we I mean we, we're very much in the bargain bargain basement uh, or in the bargain bucket, shall we say. Uh, when it comes to signings and you know looking much much closer to home, uh, essentially we we need numbers, but we need we need the quality to come with it as well. And it, you know we're not going to get players who are perhaps twenty four or twenty five and in Atletico Madrid uh, uh, their B team or pushing the fringes of their um, of their first team squad. There's no way that we'd be able to afford them, or perhaps you know, I'm pretty sure the EFL wouldn't sanction them either. So yeah, we need to be looking at players like as you mentioned, Delhi Bashiro who who is, like say, coming from a long-term injury um, and, yeah, uh, looking at, at who need to get first-team games because, you know, there's no question that it'll get them this season. We were threadbare last season. You know, we, when we lost Lucas Schwau, it was absolutely key to the way we played. We didn't have any backup. 
you know, when we lost a player like Andy Rudham Hotter, we didn't really have any backup. Now, we're quite lucky in that we've got John Swift and Obi Ajaria in the creative. Ex Chelsea, ex Liverpool. You know, we've lost my. Yeah, uh, but we've lost Michael Elise to Crystal Palace for what is, you know, Palace have got an absolute steal at £8 million. Yes, it sounds like it. Elise um, came through and uh, yeah, he, I remember reading a review of the season and they said he could step up and he's, he's going to learn from Wilf Zaha and Ebere Chiese, that's for sure. I mean, that front line of Palace is just going to be step over Central Lane. They've got so much talent and creativity. Good manager. Uh, can well. you imagine what it would be like if they still have Balassi? Yeah. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They've got an absolute steal, as I say. If easy is worth, I don't know how much it was that they signed it. Was it 16, 20 million? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Elise, I think, from what I've seen of easy and what I've seen of Elise, Elise has the ability to step up even higher than, than easy, and they've got him for half the price. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of uh, uh, sticks, in, sticks in the craw, but, you know, it's one of those things that that we've just got to swallow and move on, really. Yeah, well, um, there's nothing that we can do about it. 21st and better is, I think, what Reading are going for. Uh, to return to the Terrace Memoirs podcast, which will go on and on and on forever. Uh, you're six months in. You've already had two themed series, Her Game 2 and this, what is it, uh, Hard times and bad ownership. Are there any possible series yes. that you could work to in the next year? Uh, well, absolutely, yes. Um, I've got plenty of ideas going on in my head, uh, predominantly around uh, themes of diversity, uh, so disability, race and religion. I've already spoken to a couple of guys who run the Mad Network. They're uh, both Arsenal fans, and um, I've already sort of sounded them out about them coming on to the podcast when I do the, the race uh, or the racism theme. Uh, the, the, the black men um, who happen to support Arsenal or Arsenal fans who happen to be black, should I say. I'm hoping to get a number of people on uh, for that from a variety of uh, uh, sources. Uh, and you're welcome to come on yourself as well. You've already mentioned that, that you're um, Jewish, which is obviously you know, something that, that's hit in the news for and has done for a number of uh, number of months uh, recently. Not it never necessarily ends. in football, but of course... Never ends. It never ends, absolutely. I'm going to try and sound out uh, the Punjabi Rams, Punjabi Wolves, um, and, and, and sort of organisations like that and see mm. if they want to come on and talk about it. Yeah, that's a bit of Wolves. Um, the, I think the, that's probably the best way to go. The Bangladeshi community of Wolves, I would love to be amongst them. I once saw a video of them with their bongra drums going to Molyneux. That is a side that I wish George Mendes would um, remember when, when he sends some Portuguese clients to that city. Um, but yeah, this will go out our discussion in the middle of the holiest week in the Jewish year, between New Year and the Day of Atonement. Uh, And I might spend some of that period catching up with terrorist memoirs, because there are about, off the top of my head, what, 30 so far? More? Something like that. Yeah, I haven't actually counted them all. Um, But yeah, there's a... a, uh, We're certainly hitting the... um, uh, above a score in terms of yeah, uh, okay. number of episodes. And yes, if you... Uh, and I'm trying to bang them out two a week, so... Perfect. That is what she said. I hope um, you, you, <laughs> you, do, you will choose me as a Watford fan. There are so many great Watford fans. Uh, Dave Messenger would be the one that I'd love you to get. He works for the club yeah. and everyone at the club supports Watford, which is a great thing. Even Gino Pozzo now supports Watford. But I wanted to end with a quick fire. Uh, since you are so interested in the views of fans, I just wanted to ask, what do they want? What does a typical National League fan want, for instance? And then I'll ask you about the higher levels. So if you're a National League team, do you want promotion or do you want stable ownership more? Well, it depends on, on which part of the National League you're in. I mean, if you were to talk to Neil Maskell, who happens to be an employee of Maynard United, 
and they want and continue to have a very stable club and being competitive at that level. They obviously don't want relegation, but they accept that, you know, given that the predominance of the league is professional um, and they're not a fully professional club, um, that relegation may well happen. Whereas if you're, you know, if you look at a club like you know, someone, something that's come up in conversation recently, a club like Chesterfield or Stockport or uh, Wrexham, they're absolutely, you know, Wrexham, for example, have just signed Paul Mullin, who scored over 30 goals with Cambridge. It's going to be hilarious. It's like, last season. it's like Messi playing park football. <laughs> Nuts. Well, you can argue that he's, got, that he's gone to do that with PSG, but there we go. If you ask Ian Allenson of Snorburn City what he wants, Ian is also in charge of booking the clubhouse for events as business development. So uh, we need clubs like St Albans. And then when you get to the lower professional reaches where they have quite significant turnover, you must have Andy Holt on the show because he is turned into a fan of Accrington by mistake. (laughs) Yes, well, funnily enough, when I was talking to Christine Seddon, Blackpool Supporters Trust, uh, Andy came up. Uh, in conversation. I should probably get him on um, as well, or try to get him on. I have asked, I have uh, emailed Atkinson Stanley SCP, I've never got a response. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll keep banging that drum because I follow him on Twitter like a lot of people do. Um, I've interacted with him occasionally. Um, and, you know, I just think that whether or not people agree with what he's got to say, I just genuinely think he's got the good of football at heart. You know, you look at what he's been saying recently, you know, absolutely hilariously. Atkinson Stanley have been fined £7,000 for um, failure to fill fixtures last season because of COVID. They're not the only ones, but I think they're the only ones that have actually come out publicly. And Andy Holt is absolutely spitting feathers, and rightly so. Yeah, apparently it costs the EFL £9,000 in consultancy fees um, to investigate. Oh, no. Um, uh, so it's just like, what is, what's going on? Mm. What on earth is going on? That organisation, so, the EFL, yeah. are all over the place. Um and then you move to the championship clubs. Uh, Nigel Tassel is just about to bring out this book as we speak called The Hard Yards, which is all about following championship clubs. I imagine he will reserve particular venom for what's gone on at Reading. I'm not going to presume, but they are the gold standard. Actually, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday are running you close second and third, but I think Reading is still top of the pops. We know why owners want to get back to the Premier League, because you get 150 million quid just for being there. But wouldn't you rather be like Peterborough, knowing that you're a selling club? Part of me thinks yes. Um, I think Peterborough United, uh, their, their model is, it works for them. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. It's the way that I think the majority of clubs in, well, even at the Championship to an extent, but certainly in League One, League Two, really need to be looking at. They need to be developing youth and they need to be um, selling that youth on. Now, interestingly, actually, I had a, a chat with a good friend of mine last night in, in recording an Exit City fan, uh, Tom Morris. And that's the next episode to come out uh, on Sunday morning. Um, now, they are a case in point. I think I think I make no bones about it. Exit City are the best run football club in out of the ninety two. I am opinion. hopeful. Just um, just to interrupt. I'm hopeful to talk to Steve Perryman, who set them up so well. Oh, that'll be brilliant. Because he came up in conversation last night, yeah. uh, as, as you'd expect. And you, know, you look at Exeter's uh, run of managers with, with him as effectively their, their, their director. General of manager. Really, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, managers they had after they were taken over after the Mike Lewis years. Uh, Eamon Dolan, the sadly departed Eamon Dolan. Uh, they had Alex Inglethorpe. Uh, and then they had um, uh, Paul Tisdale. Paul Tisdale. And they had three managers 
in the best part of 20 years. You know, Tisdale turns around and essentially says, well, you know, yes, I'm going to take the management job, but you've got to give me five years and we might get relegated in that time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you've got to give me five years to set up a youth academy. Now, it's only Category 3 in, in EPP terms, uh, say only, but you look at the talent that they've produced, you know, the biggest one obviously being Ollie Watkins. And, you know, he's the gift that keeps on giving for, oh, for Exeter because... They got money because he played for England. Yeah, exactly. And they still get money every time he plays for England. So, yeah, they got the, the, the sizable transfer fee from Brentford and then the, the, the sell-on clause. They, they got the, you know, their, their wedge of the, uh, of the transfer to Villa. And then, of course, every single time, as I say, he plays for England, they, they, they've, um, they've done really well out of him. But one that really sticks in the craw with them, uh, with Exeter City fans and the club, is Ethan Ampadu, um, who at the time, was considered to be every single bit as as a um, a prospect for as, as Ollie Watkins. And uh, EPP set the, uh, the, the transfer fee in, yeah, in, six, in six figures. And I think I'm right in saying it was about a quarter of a million pounds. Now, they might, I'm not sure about if there's a sell-on clause or whatever, but Chelsea paid, you know, a quarter of a million pounds to Exeter. And essentially, that transfer fee was set because of the facilities that Exeter had and not the potential of the player, uh, which is, you know, all kinds of wrong. And this is why E-Travel-P is, in terms of um, transfer fees, is all kinds of wrong. Because that player could have, you know, could and should have been sold for, in today's market, many, many millions of pounds. And of course, that would have, you know, helped Exeter City even more um, to, uh, to to progress their club. You know, they call it the elite player performance yeah. plan. Well, you know, is it really about developing players and having clubs across the pyramid developing players or is it about the the big clubs snatching talented players from um, other academies doesn't matter how good and how successful that academy is on the cheap just doesn't sit right with me and he's going out on loan Ampadu because he can't get in the team which is ludicrous the Chelsea team yeah yeah uh, and he's tw- turns 21 uh, in fact uh, when this goes out his date of birth is set 14 uh, so happy 21st birthday, brilliant Exeter player Ethan Ampadu. And also by mid-September, there will be a lot more terrorist memoirs from the likes of Tom Morris, Exeter City fan. Um, and hopefully I'll have talk, talk to Steve, spoken to Steve Perryman because I'm writing this book about the FA Youth Cup. So good luck to Reading and their youth team uh, for this season. I don't think they'll come in for a couple of rounds, but there's every chance this season the Reading pack can do good things. Um, but more personally, yeah, well, the first we've certainly team got a good academy. There's no, there's, if there's one thing that can be said that's good about our owners, um, they have put money into the club in terms of infrastructure, um, and the academy is one of those things. So we've got a brand new training ground at, at uh, an area of um, South Radical Bearwood Lakes. You know, of course, that that plays into the Category One academy status that we hold, and the um, you know the club is uh, obviously has to fund that, but that's obviously helped by by the owners. And um, we have a successful academy. Clearly, you know, we've got players playing first-team football. I don't think if we had a more healthy squad, some of those players would be anywhere near the first team, even for a League Cup first-round game. At the same time, you know, the poison chalice, in some ways you could call it, is that they are getting first-team football. The academy helps that um, because it's, because it's uh, such, a good, such a good academy. Players would do well to come to Reading over and above with the prospect of first-team or greater prospect of first-team football than going somewhere like Chelsea. Uh, yes. where they loan 40 to 50 players out every bloody season, even though Chelsea are 30 miles down the road. 
Yes, and let us not forget, as we speak, Reading cannot even fill a match day squad with first team players. So if you do get Dele Bacheru and a couple of loan signings in, uh, let's hope Reading can finish mid-table and then the embargo will end. When does it end, this embargo? Oh, God knows. Um, <laughs> it's all in the lap of the gods, or, or shall we say the EFL, under the circumstances that we find ourselves to put ourselves in a, on a better financial footing. We're getting increasingly uh, an increasing number of um, sort of uh, what we call club partners now, uh, so um, primary sponsors, as it were, mm-hmm. um, and the stadium naming rights of now is no longer called the Medeski Stadium. Of course, it's the Select Car Leasing Stadium, yeah, uh, or the Car Park, as I like to call the it. The Car Park. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, income streams are um, increasing, but you know, it doesn't help that we haven't haven't sold many of our best assets recently. Um, you know, we've we've had bids from Brighton for Liam Moore in recent pre seasons. Sheffield United came in for John Swift last season, you know, and you need to be selling these players really when they're at their prime and they're at their, um, and if, you know, the team meets a, a reasonable asking price, you know, you can't set your asking price for John Swift at 25 million because nobody's going to pay 25 million. You know, and he ends up being, he's in the last year of his contract, he's on a lucrative contract, he's not going to get the same money next season. So you can fully expect if he doesn't get sold either now or in, in January. John Swift next season will, will almost inevitably be paying playing for another club yeah. um, and will have let him go for nothing. So um, it's just poor business management all around, really. Oh, we can't end on that. We can't end on the word poor. We've got to celebrate. In fact, uh, Dave Harris of Terrace Memoirs, let's celebrate the fact that you've got this brilliant podcast. What a great idea. It is, as you say, a chance for supporters of all football clubs, uh, even the big ones whose owners wanted to split from the league, but I'm sure you've got 86 other professional clubs to look at, to regale memories and talk about their experiences following their football club. Not a football club, theirs they are emotional stakeholders and Dave Harris you are an emotional stakeholder in Reading our paths will cross again so I look forward to being questioned by you Uh, but in the meantime Terrace Memoirs is available wherever you get your podcasts uh, Twitter and also if you have a friend or if you want to it's terracememoirs at gmail.com isn't it exactly that yeah excellent or DM me I'm quite active user on Twitter so uh, yeah it's, it's literally at Terrace Memoirs and as you mentioned earlier, the logo is the um, is going to the map by LS Lowry. Uh, you can't really miss it. And I just thought that that was the perfect avatar, really, to have for, for that account. Up the Royals, and best of luck to Reading women this season. I know they're better than the men. <laughs> Absolutely, they are. Yeah.